Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. I went on like a interesting house tour recently. Oh, haunted? Well, the tour guide said no, but I think it is because it's like an old railroadman's like uh, a railroad baron's house. So mm. come on, yeah, yeah. You got you got you got skeletons in the closet if you're a, a railroad baron. I think literally, yeah. I was up in mm-hmm. Jim Thorpe in uh, you know PA in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's very a pretty. Totally this... normal town name. My, you know, my sister was describing it to me of the history because Jim Thorpe was an indigenous athlete, and the town like named their town, which was originally, I think it's like Mong Chow. It's a it's a Lenape word, but it basically means bear, mm-hmm. bear mountain. And they changed okay. it to Jim Thorpe after this athlete who they he never visited the town, which I think is weird. And my sister oh. described it to me as um. If 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 a town decided to change their name to Taylor Swift, <laughs> and, I, and I and I and I thought about it, I, I thought about it for a bit. I was like, you know what? Though I could see it happening. Like I could see Taylor Swift as a town. You know, I know there's like all of these little, you know, small towns that are kind of dying that yeah. will just totally they'll decide to totally rebrand themselves <laughs> as like we're a little swiss alps town but we're you know tucked away you know somewhere in the midwest and it's like none of us are swiss but it's just sort of part of the gimmick right i mean know? this place literally called themselves apparently the switzerland of the northeast or something like in that. Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. <laughs> Did you know Switzerland is in Pennsylvania? <laughs> Did you know that? Because I just found I that mean, out. I mean, there are a lot of German speakers in there Pennsylvania. Are. There are, and yeah, that's that is the yeah. most ethnicity so, in the town. So, so you were you were in Jim Thorpe, formerly Bear Mountain, but ran not kind of kind of randomly named after an athlete. Yeah. In the 50s, okay. as it came with that. So, well, you know, we're walking around. It's very beautiful this time of year. All the trees in the mountains turn, you know, their leaves oh, yeah. turn. It's, it's awesome. Very, very cool. You're a regular cool leafer. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, took a train ride. That was very cool. Mm. Really feeling oh, that. We were really feeling, my family and I were feeling the, the sort of the history of that and had mm, some, there were some, yeah. there were some questionable takes on that too. And especially ties oh. we talked about last week. But we decided we were going to go on this manor tour of this man's house uh, that I yeah. forget his name, but I know his first name was Aza, and you could make up any last Aza. name, and it just fits. It fits old, <laughs> you know, kind of this like robber baron type guy. Like, like, are we going like waspy or like very yeah. vaguely French? Or? No, he's probably a wasp. Okay. Um, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I didn't read it. But uh, <laughs> it, it's one of those houses that it's like deceptively big, but also crammed. Like mm. it's just that like eighteen hundreds time of of how the house yeah. designed, but yeah. everything is like over the top in terms of decadence. 
Like, mm-hmm. oh, the walls, when they put in this wallpaper, they actually, you know, put sandstone, like, or sand gravel on it and uh, did a stencil to get that proper texture to occur. And it cost X amount of money. And, like, they imported this entire oak wood furniture from wherever in America mm-hmm. that cost X amount of. It was just like crazy. They also bought a lot of stuff from uh-huh. Philadelphia, which I thought was funny when they're just like, yeah, they imported <laughs> it from Philly. And I was like, Things haven't changed, but <laughs> one of the things that what happened is remember once the once the the cultural capital of this country. True, it's very true. Um, mm-hmm. But that's one of the weird the one of the weird things that happened though was when we were walking in the I guess the foyer or wherever this like staircase was. It was kind of like the entrance mm-hmm. way, but it was kind of small. Uh, you know, the tour group with all of us, we're all there. We're waiting for our tour guide who's like in the back for some reason, just slowly making her way up. Um, mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we hear this like. It like this this music from like one of those orchestri orchestrians like those like machines that make noise or it basically it sounded oh. like it, it just sounded like circus music like we hear this like, circus like music there, sound. like there's you like you are inside a Looney Tunes yeah yeah like I was inside like an old like like I was at a carnival I guess is a good mm-hmm. way to put it and you know a few of us are looking at each other like. Do you hear this? I hear this. Sorry, am I crazy? And is that is is that diagenic or non-diagenic sound? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I this one woman on the tour was just like, it, does does everybody else hear that? Is that part of the tour? Is this a part of the tour? Like, is this supposed to happen? And the tour guide said nothing. She didn't acknowledge <laughs> the music. She didn't acknowledge our questions. She didn't acknowledge the sound. She just kept moving and was like okay now we're gonna go upstairs here and all of a sudden you hear this like loud chiming music and i'm just like are we in a haunting right now is this is this a ghost story like what is happening that tour that tour guide was a ghost who died Maybe. you know did did like a piano drop on them like is or a safe or an anvil <laughs> there was a like, steinway in the house so oh, could it have been okay could it have been I think, that steinway i think if i think if that's how you die that's the sound that accompanies <laughs> your haunting yeah well we go upstairs and later in the tour we find the machine that was making the sound and it was one of mm. those like orchestri orchestrian i don't know it's a crazy name but basically it's this machine that plays that type of music through like sheet paper right. and yeah she's like oh here i'll play it for you and just randomly opens <laughs> this like vintage instrument that should not be touched and just plays it and we hear the music and everyone's like ah that's what it was mm. but you want to know the kicker no sferatu what that i forgot about this uh that that instrument the the wife of this man who i can't remember her name either but it's not important uh, she would take this instrument because she loved listening to this type of music so much. She would pack, have her her servants take it all apart and take it with her down to Florida because they had a house in Jacksonville. There you go. And I said, "Wow, I oh guess people God. have been suffering in Jacksonville, <laughs> Florida, for quite literally well, you, decades." You winter, you winter, you winter. Down excuse in me, I'm sorry. You winter in Florida. Excuse you come you. up for the summer. Yes, I guess that makes yes. sense. It's too hot. Yeah. I mean, even, yeah, even back then, I'm sure, like, you know, oh, free yeah. air conditioning, you don't want to be in Florida. In yeah, I just, but I also just love the the wealth, the, the, the amount of wealth that you have. Yeah, that you need just to pack this one up. You have to take the, this the with summer, you. The summer orchestra mover, orchestra instrument mover. I was so you know? weird. Yeah, it was, I, I was holding in so many jokes 
then you have, have no you, idea. Have you ever have you ever loved a piece of furniture so much you wanted to bring it on vacation? <laughs> I I can't say I have. I don't think I got that kind of money. You know, or what maybe I mean? you maybe just like when you achieve that level of wealth, you just are like, yeah, you know what? Sure. <laughs> I mean, well, the question was, why didn't she? Why didn't she just have two? And they were like, ah, the, hu- the, the humidity, the you humidity know, would mess you, with it. Oh, but I don't oh. know if that's true. So that was the assumption. That's our theory. Mm. But yeah, no, I mean, I could see like, you know, the, the husband having to pay to move it every every year. Yeah. Twice it, every year. It's like big. It's like in a piece of furniture. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. But you can't go without it. And I was like, well, you know, portable music yeah. these days. We, well, I we're guess, taking it for I granted. I guess now. Yeah. Nowadays. I guess you can just kind of pack up your keyboard and bring it with you, you know, if you yeah. really. Or your but also, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, like, yeah, even a record player is miles ahead yeah. in technology. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's well, my week's been. <laughs> I mean, I love the wonderland now that is Western uh, Pennsylvania. I've got a little <laughs> taste of it. Uh, this, oh, it uh, is. This, in this past month for my cousin's birthday, as we said. Um, but that brings us uh, to our surprise segment, Bull Pits. Oh. So, Joe, I'm going to give you a town, and you have to figure out whether or not to call Bull Pit. Is it made up, or is it a town in western Pennsylvania? Oh, my God. Well, this... Uh, okay, I'm very excited about this. All right, all right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Joe is ready to call Bull Pits. Bull pits. All right. Uh, and that's a, a pun on uh, Pittsburgh. Oh, just just nice. so we're just so we're clear. I was trying to think of a good pun, but that, that was that's good. No, it's good. Okay, okay. All right, Marlin. Marlin. Yes. Hmm. That sounds real. You are correct. Nice. All right. Seltzer. Seltzer, like the drink. Yes. Mm, I'm gonna call bull pits. That one is oh. real. Nah, of course it is. Of course. Yeah. Jim Thorpe exists. Why should I doubt anything? <laughs> I, I just don't. So random. Yeah. Yes. Port iron. That's probably real. Ooh. Oh, no. Ah, no. Well, that's not port right. carbon is real though. I was in Carbon County, so. Mm. No. Yeah. Crazy. You know what? I didn't scour the map too hard. So probably if I just there make could. up a word, there could be. There could it be. was a mining town. They had yeah, so many yeah. pop-ups. You know how mm. it is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. Mechanicsville. No, that's that's bull pits. That's Aww. real. Come on, man. I live right next to this place. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm not a Minersville. I don't think it's real. I don't think so. That one's real. Oh. <laughs> Woo! All right, all right. All right, all right. Uh, Hexerville. Hexerville. Yeah. I would like everybody at home listening to know that this is incredibly <laughs> difficult. <laughs> um, I don't think so. That is real. Oh. Come on, all, this is like when you when you constantly do true and false back and forth to assume. Yes. All right, all right. Hit me with the next one. Hit me with the next one. Forestville. That sounds real. That is real. Okay. All right, we're back. All right. 
back in the yes, game. Yes, yes, yes. All right, all right. New Philadelphia. No. That is oh. real. No way. Yes. Seriously? Where? Give me yes. where is this? <laughs> where it is. Uh I, I'm going to tell you in a second. All right. Um Cumbala. Oh, New Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh it's in Schuylkill County. Seriously? Am I just yep. an idiot? I might just be okay. dumb. To 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 reveal the curtain, these are all just towns around Pottsville where I was. So Oh my god. Yeah. So I, yes, we have we have we have Cumbala, we have Port Carbon, we have Birdsboro, we have Renningers, cr- or uh, Wigsburg. We also have Landingville. Don't you just love the creativity? Have you? I love you, it. Did you get uh, Intercourse, Pennsylvania? Because that is a real place. <laughs> I have been there. It is. It's a place. <laughs> You know, I'm always embarrassed how little time I can spend in intercourse, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. It is. Yeah. Oh, it's such an ironic name that I feel like is lost mm-hmm. on the Amish. I are there are there any? I mean, OK, so that's 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 Amish Amish country. Yeah. So Lancaster, yeah. do there do there do their teenagers like know? To, yeah. To make fun of that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I, actually, so. I mean, I don't know. I had some, I knew some people that were out in that when I was in Italy the first time study abroad, mm-hmm. I, I met some people that were like going to Kutztown, uh, which mm. is also a very weird place in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's out of an Andrew Wyeth painting. And they would yes. tell us some crazy stories about like Amish kids that would go party with them and like mm-hmm. drunk drive their like carriages and things. It was bizarre. <laughs> and I was like, this can't be real, but also I Fantastic. can assume this is real. Yeah. So it's, uh, that, it's is, that is the sort, that is the sort of cottage court. Uh, you know, childhood. I wish I had, but thank you for thank you for playing uh, oh, bull yeah. pits. No, this was fun. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm so yes. bad at this. No, I was like, you know, I I threw one fake one in there, but I thought, wouldn't it be funny if they were just all real? <laughs> it was good. That make was up anything. <laughs> that was very good. Changing it up, I appreciate that. Yes, yes. Well, um, speaking of uh, the illusion, I think that this might be a good segue into yeah. uh, what we wanted to talk about today here at the Uncanny County Museum. We are in our hall of uh, still lives. Uh, and oh, sorry, I just ran into a wall that I Ooh. that was so convincing in its tromploy that I mm. almost uh, I, 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 I wanted to step through it. Ah, Yes, you were like um, Wiley Coyote. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, so we wanted to uh, sort of talk about uh, the, 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 the concepts that went into these kinds of paintings. That is to say, um, these sort of Baroque to early modern um, still life painters that really were pushing the boundaries of illusionistic uh, still life paintings. Uh, and do we look at these as purely exercises of those painters' representational skills and light effects, or can we actually interpret something conceptual about them? Should we? Uh, and and what, what does that tell us about um, painting now and in, in our, in our uh, contemporary world where we have photography? Um, right. But uh, there is there is something uh, still so alluring to us about being able to achieve uh, photo representation uh, with 
mud, which is paint. Yeah, it, it it's an interesting topic for sure. And I I am very excited to get into this and talk about this, especially since we both teach, you know, rep drawing classes where this is on our minds all of the time, when working with perspective, when working with realism, and also thinking about why to what why why to choose what we draw in a sense of a still life setup mm -hmm. or any sort of setup and what meanings can they convey and is everything symbolic or can some things mm -hmm. just be by chance and for practice? Yes. Yeah. Um, and we're both, uh, you, you have also, uh, you, you've done the homework, you've done the reading. I have done the, I actually have done the reading. I did finish the uh, rhetoric <laughs> of perspective by, uh, Hanke Grutenburg, which is what we were talking about a little bit as a recommendation last tour, and I'm very excited to have finished it. It was dense. It was very good, though. I am. Mm -hmm. I I feel like it's also one of these things that I need to probably read it again because like there's some stuff mm. that just went right over my head. Um, but it's incredibly interesting, and I do think it's a very important text. Like if you are a art major, if you're studying art, if you're in graduate school studying art, if you're even in design. I think this is mm -hmm. a very, very important read, especially if you're writing mm -hmm. any sort of paper. This is like a must. And I kind of wish I read this in graduate school. It probably <laughs> would have solved a lot of questions that I have. But mm -hmm. ultimately, like, you know, for those of you out there listening who are interested in the arts, this is definitely a text maybe worth checking out. But, you know, give yourself some time for reading it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And I guess uh, we should... We could maybe hop around a little bit on yeah. the topics that it covers, but I thought I would maybe kick us off with um, the thing that initially grabbed me pretty early on in the book, because I was reading this um, maybe a little before lockdown and then into lockdown when we were still in Italy. Um, so it's maybe less fresh in my mind, but there there is this particular thing that uh, has stuck with me since then, because I was I've always I mean, really, since undergrad, I've I've been so interested in uh, this movement of painting of still lifes. Yeah, I guess we should also say as a little bit of background that still lifes in Europe were, at least in like the Catholic sphere, uh, were not considered high art for a very long time. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's really more in. Uh, northern Protestant Europe that they catch on more. And this is mainly because Catholic Europe, the highest type of painting that you can do, the highest art is representations of biblical scenes, you know, portraits of kings and important people. And in the North, it's, it's not to say that they didn't have hierarchical societies, but they really... Um, prided themselves in finding allusions to the Bible in everyday scenes. They would have yeah. still lifes that um, that were meant to uh, reference virtues or sins. You know, there would be sometimes like an, o a, uh, an overflowing plate of food that was meant to represent an overabundance, a... Uh, a um a potential to overindulge in life yeah. you know sort sort of this this temptation of life that could um pull you away from the you know leading a virtuous christian life they also 
believed it would have been sinful to depict a literal uh, depiction of a, of a biblical event, that you could have an actor pose as Jesus or Mary, and uh, you don't know who they are, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's not Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. <laughs> this... Uh, Woody Allen posed for this uh, painting of Jesus. It's canceled now. Oh, God. I mean, yeah. Jeez. I would never have, I would never be at a crucifixion that would have me. Um, anyways, also, uh, my, I, I apologize to everyone that I'm going to be talking, and um, I'm also getting over a cold right now. Uh, so I, I appreciate everyone's uh, patience. If any of my coughs uh, make it through, um, but anyways, uh, that is all to say that eventually there was a little bit more of a, a French reappraisal of uh, the of the what they what they considered kind of vapid art. This uh, this this artwork that didn't have sort of the overt messaging mm-hmm. that they were used to, you know. Um, when when it came to uh, th- this kind of stuff, when it, when it came to representational painting, and I, I think it also just sort of shows, you know, that since they were a little bit more limited in what they could depict subject wise, they got really good at it. Got the, really that good is, at it. That is to say, the Dutch. Yeah, yeah, they're quite nice. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little odd when you know the history, but it's also just like, wow, that looks better than any sort of like you know silverware or food or anything that i own like i yeah i'm a sucker for it i think it's quite nice i love a good dutch still life it's really incredible i i had a student ask me once like did the and it's a valid question like we read all of these things into these you know we can say oh there's a plate of oysters oysters were known as an aphrodisiac they also were kind of suggestive looking like genitalia The, the oysters are supposed to um uh, you know, be be this little scandalous touch, you know, the, the temptations yeah. of the flesh. And like one of my students is like, now, would anyone actually know that looking at this? And that's a valid question. Like, did people know how to, quote unquote, read these paintings back then? Mm. And from what the research shows, the Dutch had a pretty standardized vocabulary when it came to these paintings. Like this was just in their cultural uh, um zeitgeist to some extent right um the other thing to keep in mind i think you can't discount how much stuff we just know culturally that we don't that doesn't have to be reiterated to us that we just sort of yeah. get references to things without thinking about it oh god yeah the, the, the one and and just one other thing is that and this goes for a lot of art that has um you know fairly that has references to anything is that the people buying art are going to be people of means and have at least some kind of education. Right. Yeah. Uh, They're going to understand it. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of factors at play, but the short answer is yes. The, the audience at least for these paintings would have understood these things. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, It's very interesting when you get down to those kind of elements of it, right? Where it's like, debating on whether to symbolically break everything down that's presented in these like breakfast still lives or in these dinner yeah. still lives and the vanitas i mean ones. i could I c- I'll, I'll stare at food all day 
same. I mean, I love it. It's just the best. It's yeah. the best thing ever. So I, I, it's yeah. You've 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 seen. I I keep a framed drawing of different ways to cook <laughs> eggs in my kitchen. You really do. It does. It's yes. great. It fits the theme. It makes you feel like uh, there's something to it. Like I definitely think like the reason the still lives would catch on in that way, especially in the 1600s, 1700s, makes sense. Like for yes. sure. At least, but but also we're looking at that through a contemporary lens. So. One of the things I was really interested in with this with this work, with the rhetoric of perspective, was you know thinking about it not only then and the concept then, and thinking about how we would how how they would read into these things, into these subject matter and understand it, but also the dependency of of space and the way that Westerners in particular are, and that 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 means you and I in this case, you know what we're kind of brought into as an art lens. And anyone really right. studying in the U.S. and Europe, like how important in terms of the way we see things, mm -hmm. perspective, as in the the re the naturalness mm -hmm. of objects, of landscape, or whatever has to be like capturing this not only essence but trueness of an image. It yes. has to be picture perfect, and this is right. coming at a time before the photograph. And now mm -hmm. we're living in a time, in a weird way, like post-photograph, where it's like dealing with these, yeah. like, the redo of imagery and the reproduction of reproductions. And that's, it has gotten very messy in that sense. But right, it, because even though AI is fairly new, our adult lives have been very much like... Uh, um, a, a big part of our uh, adolescent to adult lives have been photo editing technology yeah exactly the manipulation of reality so before it's it's the manipulation of reality on the canvas is done with mud as you said or with paint mm -hmm. you know with with ink with pen or with, with yeah uh, with charcoal or, or graphite and now then you get the chemical alteration mm -hmm. of, of objective trueness and now you're getting again the editing and the reinventing by machine learning and it's yes. it's fascinating. It's really interesting to kind of to to think about, and it kind of gives you a headache if you think about it a little too much. But yeah, it is one so of it's a little little concerning because it's very we're also because yeah. it, it's very fun, concerning. right, to talk about what is truth, what is objectivity, does it exist? Can you actually achieve objectivity or just multiple points of subjectivity? Right, like that's that's a fun conversation to have. That's like a fun. Uh, you know, esoteric, Kabbalistic, yeah. you know, conversation to have. But also, like, we're also, like, trying to get, like, you know, half the population on board with, uh, you know, uh, like, public health care and, yep. uh, you know, accepting science and, and all sorts of things like that. Yeah. And... And that's where, like, you have to kind of be a little bit more of a buzzkill and be like, no, hey, we've got, like, certain objective things that we all need to kind of focus yeah, on. Yeah, we here. need to regroup here a little bit. It's um right. No, it is it is it's concerning for sure. Yeah. But um and and to even the reaction to that kind of painting like very representational art, you know, in in sort of its height in like that that neoclassical era of, you know, uh like American and French Revolution era, you know, yeah. uh, enlightenment, uh, age of reason mm -hmm. zone of history. 
those paintings were followed by Impressionism, which were very deliberately a reaction against the overly polished studio production of painting, in part because people were increasingly aware of how if you had a super finished looking painting, there was an understanding that it had to have been completed in the studio. If you had an impressionistic painting, you could at least have a little bit more of an illusion that someone had to go and witness something. Someone had to paint this from sight to get those light and color effects. Um, And, you know, those, it, it would be, it would be incorrect to say that the Impressionists did not go into the studio uh, and that they always were painting plain air. But that was that style was seen as more, quote unquote, mm. authentic because because it was not overly, uh, overly developed, overly. Right, refined. right. It was uh, honest, 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 off the cuff. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. It's um, the real post studio, you know. But uh, <laughs> um, that just means you can't afford a studio. Uh, I am post studio. You know, I, I my <laughs> laptop is my studio. <laughs> my living room is my studio. Yeah, I, literally, yeah, actually, it it is for me. But um, no, I I, I had a recently at, at the university I teach. I had a really interesting conversation with a, an art history professor, and we were discussing, um, you know how how you can tell somebody's like, it painting or drawing was done from a photograph versus reality. And we were having right. an interesting conversation about that because I'm not always one who um, follows the idea of painting from life to be a required, mm-hmm. or drawing, I'm going to go, because I teach drawing, drawing from life being a like necessity, but it is mm-hmm. very important to understand the dimensional, yeah. the dimensions to things. But yes. part of what I implement in teaching, especially a drawing one course, is that, you know, the world we live in nowadays, everything is flat in the sense of a photo. And mm-hmm. it's because it's, the, it's, be, it's a part of our visual language now to document things uh, through like iPhone, Android, whatever, cameras, these, these very non-composed images of daily life or sometimes very composed for uh, other reasons. And the reason I a lot of times work like portraits or uh, perspective or other kind of still life opportunities that way alongside the reality of the objects being in the classroom is that Mm. you can give that sense of dimension to show, okay, this is the way it is in reality, right? This is how we see the still life. This is how your phone is seeing the still life. And now you are translating these images Mm -hmm. onto the paper and you're not always going to have that still life or you're not always going to have that portrait in front of you and you might have to take multiple references. So at least we can learn to translate the photograph correctly and more interestingly yeah the problem is when you bring in this lack of awareness and this is what the art history professor was getting at and i and i agree with him as well when you don't have this awareness of depth how color can be used to achieve depth how line and form and shadows can be used to get perspective and precision that Mm -hmm. gets lost in the translation of the photograph which is now getting re-lost into um the Mm -hmm. image that is painted or drawn and students at the beginning level will not understand that and it's this Mm -hmm. this balance i'm so curious about and with in the rhetoric of perspective i was really interested in too where you know we use still lives now as 
teachers and also as students training outside of a classroom setting, like when you just want to draw something, you draw an apple, you draw a bowl, whatever, bowl of fruit, most standard thing mm-hmm. in the world, flower pot. Um, yeah. But there is conceptual meaning behind those things, right? There's a reason you choose them. But now mm-hmm. those objects have been left as a, it's kind of like training, right? You train with the most familiar things that we know how to see. We see these things every day. Or we see these objects. We've seen an apple. You've seen a bottle of wine. They're the most standard things you can think of. So to then draw them is working with the familiar um objects that surround you and putting it down on a two-dimensional plane and creating something that invokes space and depth and form of what we see. So yes. I guess part of what, and this is a long way of getting to this, I, I one of the things that really interests me when it comes to not only working within still life, working within perspective and, ma- and very um, illusionistic ways of drawing or making two-dimensional works is that it... it, it I... I um, it's it's how far I guess to go mm. with it. it, at least now, because the language has shifted and we have this awareness that this is this this impression of, you know, hundreds of years of art history and reasons to paint this way or to draw this way. But now there's that movement that moves either way too far into the looseness and removes itself from perspective and realism, or the traditionalism that then roots itself in the idea that truth must be achieved through realistic representation. Mm. And that is what makes an interesting image. And I I don't know where to really situate myself into that or really with anything, because I think it's such a messy topic, but it's very interesting to me. And it's something that was really, it gave me something to think about as I was reading Mm -hmm. this. Yeah, I mean... And it's something that I, I've had to think about for a while as I, you know, figure out what exactly the line of, of representation like I've wanted to use in my own practice. And, you know, since we both teach introductory classes at this point in our career, it's very present in our minds too. Yeah. You know, as far as like what we're preparing uh, our students to do, you know, what um, even just getting them, if they're going to, draw or paint from photographs even getting them to pick good yeah composing uh, reference images like that that level of composing i want to um go i want to kind of uh pull directly from the book uh again this is kind of early on in the uh the chapter uh the invisibility of depth and Mm. Specifically in the book, they're talking about um, the French art critic uh, Denis Diderot. Ah, yes. Um, and uh, Diderot would publish these things that he called hieroglyphs, where he would essentially just do super highly descriptive uh, texts of a painting so that if you were reading it, you had an idea of what the painting was. You know, you knew you you could know what it looked like without having to see it. And this itself is an interesting concept. Just the yes. idea that you could, you know, it's the thousand words thing of, of a picture. Right. Right. There's that there's that cliche to it. But also just even the ideas like, is that even possible? Like, could you could you think of how to comp- not only describe what is in a painting 
but also like what is compelling about it. And maybe that's maybe more the place of a poet uh, or something, mm. but there's there's something objectively going on in a painting. And then there's a, a an exploration of form and concept that is happening beyond just what is objectively painted. Right. Now, Diderot is really taken with this one artist named uh, Chardin, and uh, in uh, uh, 1765, where there is a still life where he writes, I'm going to say one thing about Chardin, and here it is. Select a spot, arrange the objects on it as I describe them, and you can be sure you'll see that you, you'll have seen this picture. This is to say that the painting is so well painted right. that he's like describing a photograph, you know, right, that... Yeah. The idea that if you if you have seen this view, you have seen the painting, which he's very excited about. But to us, we might be like, all right, then what's the point of the painting? We also have to appreciate, though, what a technical achievement that is. Oh, Um, sure. And I guess that's ultimately the question, like, is. um, and, And there's no one answer to it. It's like, what is the line of technical ability versus a painting that makes you feel something, you know, art that makes you feel something. Right. Because ultimately, with all art, you're recreating, you're recreating some uh, idea of reality, uh, but changing it so that you can draw people's attention to something yeah. that has struck you. Yeah, it's a good way to put that, actually. I, I like that a lot. Um, I, I guess that's the thing that's so tantalizing to me and interesting mm-hmm. because and, and part of this is is due to the lack of like you know I, I we have very similar interests and intersections in our works and I think it's why we collaborate a lot but the way we execute our projects is very different you know mm. between you and I Zan and like I, I always I, I list I listen to Matchbox Twenty while I paint. Mm, I listen to not Matchbox Twenty, so <laughs> I that would drive me crazy. Actually, I've I, I've weirdly gotten into Silence, like just nothing. <laughs> Have you heard of this new banner called Silence? Um, God, that's like the most passive aggressive way to tell somebody to turn off their music, but. <laughs> I was going with. Wow, I guess I guess you've never wondered what it would be like to be a superhero. Did you play Matchbox Twenty when we shared a studio? You know, I don't. I think like I, I think I definitely exaggerate my like (laughs) my liking of them for LARPs. That's fair. Um, I'm sure it's sprinkled in because I I like to have a a variety in my playlist. No, you 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 were a great a great studio companion uh, DJ. It was great. We always had some Mm. tunes going that kept the mood up for sure. Um, Thank you. No, of course. But where I was going with this too is like you you've mastered this sense of like creating the real on the canvas. You have that technical ability, which is amazing. It it, it really is Mm. truly. Thank you. Of course, you know I'm a fan. Uh, <laughs> and I, like on my end, I find to do something realistic is almost like a disservice for what I'm interested in. It's not that I, because I'm not going to like diss myself and say I can't do it. It would take me forever and it would never, it wouldn't be as interesting. But rather I'm, I, I become more interested in, in the 
the familiar of the objects, mm. but portraying them in a different way, let's say, or or that familiar yeah. feeling and portraying it in a different way. So when it comes to looking at art in this sense, now, especially teaching it, I am always amazed by those who have the technical ability to paint a certain way, to draw a certain way, to get the accuracy of something. But when it goes mm -hmm. the step further like when there's a twist or there's a like like in your case of displacing objects in different spaces or you know the 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 scale of something of another artist maybe working more realistically but using that language to say something mm -hmm. else is to me when it becomes this more interesting conceptual notion but even when yeah. working with like students it's always interesting to see those who like uh, technically are making these amazing drawings but the better time is when they take it that next step and are working the material in a way that becomes interesting like the right. texture adds an element to it the fold of a paper page adds something to it like just this mm -hmm. little push of an element that they may or may not know that they're doing that to me is always like the interesting motion because again we're working within this western visual language that we're all mm -hmm. grown up with and yes. it's very difficult to break out of but I don't uh -huh. think it's necessarily about breaking out of it because we're all in our own cultural contexts, as we've talked about multiple times, that everybody around the world has different cultural contexts surrounding them involving language and visual language and things of the sorts. And mm -hmm. I think it's I, I, I think it's okay to then embrace that and take it to that next level as we move forward. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because then because then you just start sort of start, you know, commodifying other people's Yeah. Uh, you know, art and, right. you know, it becomes trendy and, yeah. and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I am very open to, you know, a lot of those, I, I am open to looking back on a lot of artists who did things that we would now like look at as like, a, a you know, a, an exploitative, uh, appropriation. Like I still am interested in their, in their work and right. what it meant to come upon a totally different way of using representation at a time when everything was not just at your fingertips. Um, yeah, we really take know, that, that for that, granted. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that is something to always you know keep in mind when we when we're talking about you know uh, Picasso or uh, you know even to some extent Frida Kahlo. Like that's the these, these are uh, you know th there's there's plenty of criticism to make of them. Uh, but we we can uh, we can appreciate uh, 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 different aspects of them. Yeah. But th there's another thing that that I guess uh, you touched on as well, which is like you know the, the Western context of 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 this representational art, and I guess um, the the thing that we've had to deal with for the last century or so is again that association of um, hyper representational work being at best kitschy at worst fascist the the idea that there is some sort of conservatism lurking within uh super representational work that it does not give you anything to think about you are not meant to participate in the in the actualizing of the art as much it is very much telling you something it is not it is not asking much very much of you uh right. as, as far as like your own abilities 
there's some there's uh there's a relationship there that um that that also makes us kind of cautious of this style of artwork now that yeah. if someone if someone now was only interested in representational work and only interested in recreating photographs either they're kind of boring as an artist right or they're you get them talking and they're going to start telling you about the good old days. Yeah. Like like that that's a, that's our underlying fear, right? Of of representational artists nowadays. I, I mean, yeah, I would agree with that. I've ran into some of them. It's like a real <laughs> it's a real thing. Like it's it's very um it's very concerning. On the other end of it though, too, you get people like that who don't make representational art. They make insanely weird abstract art that's not good. Mm. And that that's the the more offset of it but no i, w- I would absolutely yeah. agree that you you know it, it is my sort of underlying fear and yeah. worry with hyper realism or these like in you know like the photo must yeah. be exactly the same and it's yeah. like okay but yeah just take I, a photograph yeah. i don't understand uh, i i i mean yeah because you th- that's changed we can't yeah. we can't pretend that the avant-garde is always going to protect us from uh you know, uh, uh, people with backwards worldviews, you know, um, you know, and that, and that being said, I think there's people that whose work that we like, whose, uh, some of their beliefs we had, we abhor, uh, and yet there, there's still something to talk about with their art. Um, but I, I do think that keeps us on edge about a lot of the stuff. And one of the things, go, to, to go back to the book a little bit, yeah. it talks, and this is where it intersects a lot with things that I'm interested in. Um, it talks a bit about how the an image that is painted like this is, it, it seems to freeze time and narrative. At least that's sort of the, right. the, um, the stance that the book takes. And I think that fit very much into that modernist view of the past is something kind of static that you can put in a chapter of a book and it sort of neatly fits into a narrative of a time. It's sort of this frozen thing. You can freeze the past. You can, you can have a picture of the past and it is unchanging and objective. And we tend not, we try not to think of things as that singular anymore, um, at least people in academia. Um, right. But it is, uh, it is a big part of even just the museum diorama, the idea of trying to have a little window, the idea that you can even have a window of something that is representative of a time and place. That itself is very helpful in some ways, but also runs the risk of being reductive. Yeah. Right. Did, what, did what I say you... did I say enough buzzwords or not enough buzzwords? Mm, I think you're missing a little, a few of them mm. in there. We we need to get mm. a, we need a buzzword buzzer. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have definitely <laughs> said my share of them. And you know what? Sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's obnoxious. But I I, I I totally agree though with what you're saying, and, and that is the thing. It's 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 why I feel like also I've just struggled with two dimensional work, and yeah. I feel like why a lot of people do right. Like when when you start having things that can move, 
or fall or be sculptural. Like it changes the sense of time and place and space. And within painting and within the book discussing painting specifically in this way, it does become a static moment and wondering why then what gets fit into it and how can we... Also the notion of wanting to be able to climb into the painting always interests Mm. me. Right, like this, and and I use that all the time when describing something. Like, you know, it invites us in. We can quite literally walk into the space mm-hmm. that there's these un, and the Dutch are always famous for that. The un, the sort of hallway that appears, but like it turns off into a different space or like an open door. Yeah. I love that. I love. I, there, I there's love a suggestion, a suggestion of something beyond. Exactly, and it's all just coming down to the again the uh, this illusion. Um, you know, I, I kept thinking about it too when I was reading the when I was reading the, the rhetoric of perspective. Like, just also the psychological connections mm-hmm. that go into that too. Like the way that we actually perceive the world, especially after reading Andy Clark's The Experience Machine, where yeah, if the theory holds water, which I do think it does, that our minds are in fact predicting rather than perceiving. Like we are not active perceivers, but rather we're active predictors, and we predict reality around us all the time which is why we get a lot of different like illusions mm-hmm. of things and stuff. I feel like that adds a lot when you look at even how art is read or how we're interested in certain ways of yeah. wanting the perspective to be achieved in um in these certain dimensions. Like I gu- I guess to give that example, like there's there's the example in the book with um uh, Jan Diebitz, the perspective correction, my studio one square on the wall of my studio, which was mm. done in 1969. And it's a photograph with a drawing on top of it. So the photograph is that studio wall. It's got the perspective angles moving backwards. And in the back, uh, and this is a square photograph. So it's probably shot on a medium format film camera. And there's mm-hmm. a window that's just pure white in the background because of the light source coming in. And then the artist Diebitz draws a perfect square very about a mm, i don't know like one square inch or whatever of it right on the wall flattening out the entire image and it creates this not only philosophical question of the idea of mm. perspective but it, it to me and when i'm talking about the the experience machine it immediately freaks our eyes out because we can't mm. figure out which way to go do you go with the square of the image and realize that this is in fact flat Or do you follow the lines backwards to the vanishing point and continue the illusion? And do you then connect the square that's been drawn in to that vanishing point as well to begin formulating the form? Like, it starts to freak our brains out. Yeah. And to the point where even when I've been describing perspective to students and showing them how to shade and stuff, it's like you use that as a way to understand that, like, this is an illusion. This is a trick of the eye. It's material move together in certain ways to give us this impression of something moving backwards this impression of space but it's not it's flat right it's a two-dimensional surface yeah and that's why i think deepit's photographs are like amazing in this way like it's just such a fun way to go about it and to really again correct that perspective but it opens up a lot of questions it does it does and we have to i i think to to you know also bring it into some contemporary painters i I, you know, the reason why I think I, I've what, what I what I've sort of arrived at, like what why I am drawn to Luke Toyman's and Mikhail Borman's so much when it comes to contemporary painters ultimately is they're very open about their use of photography. Yeah. As their um as uh, 
how they use photography um, to create their paintings, that they have a subject, they photograph it or find the photograph of it, and then they paint the photograph. And there's an element there that you could always say is, you know, well, yeah, that's just how you do these things nowadays. That's just how the process <laughs> is done. and all that. Yeah, and you don't have to wait for a special time of day when the shadows are just right and, you know, all this stuff. You don't have to let, make someone pose for hours. And I, I get that. And I'm also, you know, that I'm also a fan of, you know, <laughs> of doing that type of thing. But... I think their honesty about it and their inclusion of photographic artifacts in the finished image, the way that their photographs retain um, some of the uh, the flaws of the photo, mm, it acknowledges yeah. this whole thing of the modern condition or contemporary condition, whatever you want to call it, where we are um, certainly proximate to a lot of things going on but so much of our day-to-day is um, just, uh, it only interacts with us through media. Yeah. We do not directly observe many things uh, that, that affect us every day. And maybe that was always true to some extent, but a lot of our lives, again, I don't want to sound like, a fogey. Uh, I'm, uh, but a lot of what we do in our day to day lives has become quite passive, um, yeah. in a lot of ways. You know, whether it's internet, photography, uh, television, whatever. A lot of our activities revolve around passively taking things in. Yeah. Um, and. I think there's something meaningful about acknowledging that in the artwork that maybe you did witness something to some extent, but everything that we, or almost everything that we witness and have to interpret, we have to consider the lens of the media, mm. the, the the media, the mediums that we we are passively uh, taking those things in. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. I absolutely agree with that, hundred yeah. percent. I, I I'm I'm on a, you know I'm on my cycle of Dayquil and Nyquil. So you know, uh, <laughs> this is drugs talking. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's that's just the that's just the Dayquil talking. Yeah, you know. Um, no, it's, the, it's true though. Yeah. Like I I mean we've I've even mentioned that with with Michelle Dacre too. Again about the I mean maybe, again this this is a another one of those games of did Joe mention it at the tour at the Uncanny County Museum or did Zan and Joe talk about this privately? But uh, <laughs> you know mentioning about Michelle Dacre too with um, again the the difference between interacting with media and passively digesting it. Whereas with t- yes. like with TV we passively we're not active participators. We are being spoken to and we are witnessing it but we have no engagement yes. in it there's nothing for us to work with whereas with a book or with writing until with now reading, vote now on your phones <laughs> yeah we'll wait this is live <laughs> well that is actually interesting if you bring it into like twitch or any live streaming situation that actually does change things which is 
fascinating, but maybe a different conversation, but interesting mm. in the sense of how we interact with media and the people we watch for entertainment. Yes. But within like a video game, for instance, you're an active participator. You, I mean, in certain games for sure, you decide the outcome, right? You decide the actions taken. In a book, you your voice, your inner voice is casting the the voices that you hear of the characters or the narrator, if it's nonfiction, you know, the pacing, how long or short of what you want to engage with it. Like all of those are such small banal things, but it really does make a difference in terms of like autonomy and like how you get control over your own pacing and, 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 um, and process with understanding information. Whereas, I mean, I love a good TV show, love a good binging on Netflix or something, you know, but it is like fascinating to sit there and wonder like between that or watching TikTok videos or anything, you know, you are passively digesting all of these images and, and moving images and information and material. And there's not like an outlet to deal with it unless you go into the comments section, I guess, but it's kind of a nightmare. <laughs> so you're not going to get the much out of it. Do you know the, what I mean? Yeah, so no, it, the com the comments section on uh, Plato's allegory of the cave, they devolve pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it, it, it's so interesting to me. And again, it's like, I, I also really like Toyman's and Borman's work a lot. It's definitely a big part of what I'm interested in, especially with the artifact of the photo the artifact of the photo and of yeah. the, the 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 showing and pulling a bit of that curtain away of the the mediums used to record memory and that mm. we identify like yeah. the the realistic painting might have been a way to and I don't I don't think it was but like as a way to kind of identify this to freeze a pure moment in time mm -hmm. then the photograph becomes the actual way to freeze a moment in time and now yeah. again we're post photograph and it's like figuring out not only I mean there's multiple things happening whereas you have like ai trying to invent the thing that that happened yeah. and by stealing and then you have the artists then working within the medium itself to figure out how to navigate this post photo world this idea of like you know what to do with all of these images happening at once all of this this material that's coming at us it's all very interesting Certainly. and it's exciting yeah. but also terrifying <laughs> at the same time but what a what a great way to wrap that up yeah. Exciting, terrifying. Uh, yeah, have, everything have we everywhere. Beat, ha, have <laughs> have we uh, beat this painting of a dead horse uh, enough? Uh, oh, I hate that expression. No, uh, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is. It is one of these. It's one of these. It's one of these unsettling expressions. Like I, I've been watching Ted Lasso again, and I was like, man, mm -hmm. this is definitely what like I feel like all the Italians who would hear us say all these different expressions would feel like. <laughs> you know, where it's just like, what do you mean you want to beat a horse? Like what? Anyways, I um, I am I am thoroughly disinterested in talking about whether or not something is woke, but I do enjoy the um the alternative to kill two birds with one stone that has been proposed, which is feed two birds with one scone. Is that a thing, really? I like that. Uh, uh, kill two birds with one stone is considered uh, too, too. It evokes They're too much violence. We're canceling it. No, I. Well, <laughs> we 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 have both been told that even to use the term execute is violent, and I am not going to sit here and like get into the semantics of the English <laughs> language, which is insanely complicated. But I get it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, words have meaning. Um, Actually, I think this is a great segue uh, into um, my 
contribution to this week's Stick It or Ticket. Oh, I can't wait. What you got for um, us? Well, honorable mention was someone's uh, vanity plate that just said, Beans! Amazing. I need um, that. Yeah. <laughs> See if it's available in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was driving behind a truck that had a finger pointing back at you, like it, like pointing oh. at whoever's driving behind, and it says, canceled. Whoa. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's woke Medusa. If you yeah. look at it, you're canceled. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Has cancel culture gone too, too far? Wow. Jeez, why aren't they covering this? Um, amazing. <laughs> That's very funny. Yes. Yeah, you can only survive if you uh, yeah. you approach it with your car's mirror. Yeah, you need to flip your rearview mirror at it. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. All right. I actually have a few this time, and I think I'm going to have to go in reverse order of how I found these because the, okay. the first one I saw was just so good. Um, <laughs> and maybe I'm hyping it up too much. I don't know. But So I saw one over the weekend, actually, while I was in Jim Thorpe, and... Let's see if you can make heads or tails of this because oh, it was I'm excited. It, I love a mystery. It was an alien, like a gray, you know, gray alien. Gotcha. And it had a cancel sign over it. <laughs> <laughs> How did we both? I know. There's right? a, there's, a, there's weirdly a theme. I know. And but but interesting. Like, but I guess I guess this, aliens are real. But but okay. But hear me out though. Does that mean are we canceling aliens? And or is it something darker than that? Like I couldn't because because we're oh, trying to decode mm. this. I'm with my family. And we're like, let's like think about this. Like, let's use context clues. So we have this alien sign next to it is like a granola crunch like quote mm. or something. There's a Bigfoot sticker, but like a positive okay. Bigfoot sticker. There's a Yeti Bigfoot. sticker, like the like the drink. And there's also like yeah, like a Bigfoot walking, and it said believe or something. I don't know. And okay, so Bigfoot's woke. So Bigfoot, Bigfoot is fine. It sounds like, but aliens okay. are canceled. <laughs> I'm so confused, and I yeti don't know. If it's... Yeti is on thin ice. I'm I'm Cause afraid because it, it's a yeti. Yeah, true. I'm afraid yeah. if it's like racist. That mm, oh, but, but like, do you mm. know what I mean? Like, if you, if we're if we're gonna read into this, yeah. that's when well, I was like, but is it smart enough to be that subversive? it's so hard to say anymore because like know. i just i it's the it's the whole thing of like my brother and i were talking about this at lunch the other day uh about like how it's so cool if you can pull off a campy ugly t-shirt graphic t-shirt True. yeah but there's clearly a line where <laughs> you can't you can't wear certain things for fear of people thinking that you're not wearing them ironically. Yeah, very true. You know, even though if you could somehow make it clear that you're wearing it ironically, it would be so funny. Oh, yeah. I, uh, you know, very real. Very yes. Great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he, that- he was confronted. He was confronted by it while uh, at a flea market and saw someone selling uh, shirts that said certified racist. Oh my Which god! Is oh my so god. funny, that is, but God, yeah, no, that can't. That had to yeah, be a sleep uh, shirt. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's like my say yes to life shirt that yeah. I only wear to bed. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think that's where I've gotten that from. Is when you 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 <laughs> quoted saying that that it's your sleep shirt, uh, sleep shirt only. Um, yeah, so that one was mind boggling. 
I also mm-hmm. saw another one that just said gut fish question mark. Gut fish? Yeah, like gut fish, but I think it's like got oh, fish, but it's also like you have fun. to gut a fish. Yeah, it was that's like fun. fun. It was like fun. Yeah. And then this one, this one I loved because it's practical and funny. And it said, if you ain't crocking, you ain't rocking. <laughs> and I, I, I just, I like it. You know what I mean? That can mean a few different things. I get it. The Crocs are, they are efficient. I don't, I will not wear them out of the house. They're, they're indoor only <laughs> shoes or out, out back only shoes. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. So words to live wow. by. You ain't crocking. Yeah. You ain't rocking. <laughs> wow. Uh, I mean, well, who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll see some Crocs on stage at uh, Coachella next year. Yeah. It also could have been a crock pot. So, I mean, oh, it's also it, it definitely wasn't, but I'm just saying, mm. like, if you wanted to, no, 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 there's, it, there, there, know? there are, yeah, no, it, it, a good bumper sticker contains multitudes, just like a good work of art. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, well, those wonderful, are good. wonderful. Yeah, those are very they, yes, good. No, actually, we we had a productive uh, sticker or ticket. Absolutely. Yeah, we are nailing this tour today. Oh yeah, like, you is... you would you would never know I'm sick. This was this is my like reflection to make because that one tour I had was so dry in this sense I was like you know what <laughs> not at my museum not at, not at our museum you know we're fun. Yeah. we have fun here yeah nice well um <laughs> speaking of the museum Joe what do you have going on outside of the museum uh, uh not too much happening at the moment but as always you can check out my work on my website at uh com, and also listen to the uh, my albums that i have out on streaming at uh just joe Semino on spotify itunes wherever you listen to your music at uh zam what do you got going on anything exciting um well uh let's see uh Obviously, there's uh, our music, Ghost Modern. Yeah, uh, you can uh, find that. Uh, our debut album, Jazz Club, is out now. It is out. Streaming everywhere. Um, I don't know if I have anything super definitive to uh, mm. announce just yet. Um, I'm going to start trying to stock up some more of my work on my website as the holidays approach. Um but, you know, as always, you can see my work at zanpeters.com or on my Instagram, Zanosaurus, um, where I'll be, uh, I- I'm on a little bit of an inspiration kick lately. So there's going to be a mm. lot of new stuff coming. Nice. Um, yes. Uh, do you have any uh, uncanny recommendations before we go? Uh, I do, actually. I am. Ooh. I I did finish reading. Uh, it, it's very short, which is why I read it so fast. But the it's called The Employees by Olga Ravkin, I believe. Um, mm. It's this like science fiction novel or like a novella, really, that's written. It's a it's a narrative that unfolds through a bunch of ship statements that's taking place on this like future spaceship in like the year the oh. like twenty. 20- 22nd century it's interesting it's it's a little like i definitely recommend it because it's just something different and if you're in a reading slump it's a good way to like ex- to, to to read experimental literature um mm-hmm. and it's like you could read it in a day not even so i i definitely hmm. if you like sci-fi and want something a little different i would give it a go but i'm also i'm now reading uh the jacarda method by vincent bevins which is essentially mm-hmm. about how the cia intervened in um indonesia's communist party rise like during the cold war like this is happening right after vietnam and basic 
basically ignited a genocide. Uh, it, it's, oh. it's, do you know the, uh, the Act of Killing, that documentary, and uh, this Look of Silence? Have you ever heard of those? Ha- I think you mentioned them. Okay, yeah, they're very good. And also, okay. I, I would recommend those too. But um, this is telling the global story of that. And it's wow, okay. very, very interesting. And it's written, it's written very, um, like for an audience that may or may not know that history. So nice. I've been finding it very digestible and stressful, but kind of um, relevant to what's happening yes. around the world right now. And uh, yeah, I would just, I, I'm only a few pages in, but I'm already, I think it's going to get the recommendation for sure. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. I have also just started a book. It is... Um... A compilation, the 2023 uh, compilations of uh, best uh, short fiction oh, nice. uh, edited by Lauren Groff, one of my favorite authors. Um, I will have more to say about that probably next time, uh, but I'm already enjoying it. Um, as far as music goes, uh, I recently discovered the Beach, Boy, Beach Boys album Sunflower, which, Joe, I have to ask, have you ever heard this album? I don't think I have, actually, and I love the Beach I Boys. I think you you need to hear this album. It's, well, Pet Sound's one of my favorite of all time, so... I Sunflower is like... There's songs on it that sound like modern, like, kind of lo-fi, like... Uh, it's it's just uh it's really ch- chill like okay you know yeah. some some solid uh you know uh, vintage pop songs but also like some some interestingly atmospheric work okay uh, I'm from into them it. I got it loaded yeah up. I'm curious also um producer O one by L T J Bukum Buckum. Hmm. Uh, recently uh, got turned on to him uh, and a uh, very very interesting. A uh, cool uh, kind of uh, uh, spatial instrumental pieces. A, nice. a lot of different stuff mixed in there. I guess I should also give a shout out to uh, Bo Lucas, uh, who uh, approached me at the Halloween market this past weekend. Um, we traded information. Uh, he really enjoyed our music. Uh, and I gave some of his music a listen. It's some psych rock. And uh, it's really good, actually. Um, he did start talking quite a bit about the aliens and the Galactic Federation of planets and how, you know, the aliens are really holding Earth together just so that humanity can maybe one day join the Galactic Federation. And then I said, well, thank you for looking at my work. Um, <laughs> and then he and then uh, he yeah. rode away on his bicycle. But um, I would check out Trust the Aliens. Uh, one of his uh, one of his singles, uh, okay. and and uh, intuition, um, cool album covers, uh, and some some chill music. Nice. Yeah, we want to thank you for visiting the Uncanny County Museum today. Uh, if you want to find us after hours, we are at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. You can email us at uncannycountymuseum at gmail uh, again, you can find me on Instagram at Xanosaurus. And you can find me on Instagram at, at Josemino Art. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Josemino. Bye. Bye. Bye.